0: take your bibles and turn to exodus chapter 34 we've been uh working through this passage uh as far as memorizing it and so we are going to go over this again as i said i hope you're trying to memorize this more than just the one occasion here um you know I, i'm going to get it here and maybe uh just maybe uh, i'll remember it uh for next week and the answer is no you have to go over this uh, repeatedly to get this but this is the statement that God made to Moses when Moses said show me your glory and the Lord said I'll show you my glory but uh, it was not in the way that Moses expected he I think in some ways as you read the context he was looking for something that would be a sign of some kind visible thing that he could see and grasp onto that the Lord was with him but the Lord gave him something that he could grasp onto by words. Statements about God and be able to clasp on to those And, and God gave him this statement for him to remember. We looked last week at Numbers 14. It was a statement that Moses remembered in the midst of the 12 spies debacle. He remembers this statement as he goes before the Lord and he quotes this. He goes, remember, you said this, and uh, you find uh, that to be the case. But uh, we find this the statement uh, starting in the middle of verse number 6 and going on into verse number 7. Uh, and so we'll start with this proclamation of the Lord about his own character. So let's go through this uh, together. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And so this is a statement, a declaration of God going, this is what I'm like. He gave this to Moses. Moses uh, recorded this story in uh, the law and the story of Numbers chapter 14. We said that's not the only place that this statement about God is used by God's people. Uh, there are a number of occasions at least 10 that you can go through in the old testament where this is used in stories and psalms and other things and so we're going to work our way through this how do you use a statement like this about the character of god in in real life situations everyday life i want us to turn to psalm 86 psalm 86 Take Psalm 86 and you just merely look at the title and you realize that this psalm is about uh, 450 years after Moses' time. How do you know that? Well, it's right in the title. It says a psalm of David. And you go, okay, when did David live? Well, about 450 years after Moses did. By this time, the nation of Israel had been established. There was a kingdom. He was a king uh, and uh, was an individual that uh, was one who had shown by his own heart that he was one who loved God. He was a person after God's own heart. But as you read through this psalm, which there are several psalms of David that have this uh, passage from Exodus in it, you find that uh, here he is using this statement in his prayer life it was obviously something that david meditated on and i just want us to read through this psalm and i want to see if you can pick up where the quote of exodus 34 is at because uh it's subtly hinted at and actually exactly quoted in this psalm so let's just uh, read through this is psalm 86 verse 1 it says this bow down thine ear O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou, my my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works." All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. You might unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen up against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee uh, before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth oh turn unto me and have mercy upon me give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou lord has hopen or helped and comforted me i think as you read through this you begin to note the fact that this is a psalm that would be described as a psalm of prayer Uh, it is one that you're going to talk about here in a little bit but you see things that sound like one who's praying desperately for help but the one thing that you may not recognize immediately but anybody that was in the hebrew culture would recognize is that this is a psalm that recognizes a relationship there's a relationship here that we could simply describe as the master servant relationship you go why why is that what's going on here that that indicates that Well, as you go through Psalms and as you read through the Psalms, uh, you ought to note, uh, as you read through Psalms, the names of God used throughout the Psalm. Now, you start the Psalm and it starts with the name in verse 1 of the the Jews would have commonly used about God. It's O Lord, it's the capital L-O-R-D. This is that name Jehovah, or as the Hebrews might have pronounced it, Yahweh. That name there that the Lord said, this is the name that you're going to call me by when he's talking to the nation of Israel in the Exodus story. Uh, This name is the name that you are are going to have relation to me by. You can call me by this name. It's a personal name. It's talking about God being the self-existent one. In fact, the name itself just means I am. Thus, sometimes you have the statement that God is the I am. And you get a little further and you find the statement uh, in verse 2 that here you have this generic uh, name for God that the world would have used for God, Elohim, like what we have in the first, uh, sto- or first verse of our Bible, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, this one who is uh, supreme above all. But then you get to verse 3 and you find uh, this, O oh Lord, small, small, o-r-d you go well what's that name well that's the word that uh, is translated or is from the hebrew adonai which is the word for master mean that that's what the, the name means and and as you go through the psalm you suddenly begin to recognize that even though every once in a while jehovah is used there's an overabundant use of this word lord see what you go through you count it if you were to do this you'd find that there's seven times that this word is inserted for the name of god it's not the jehovah name there is this statement okay there's one who is my master and david then throughout the psalm then identifies himself as a servant i mean you go through and you look at verse number four and here david announces this rejoice the soul of thy servant and you go through and you find uh that you get towards the end and there is this statement in verse number 16 oh turn unto me and have mercy upon me give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid which would be in a statement for saying a female servant and you you find these things that are there Uh, four times you find this word servant so right from the start you're going this is a prayer psalm but it's the the relationship of a person who has a master and is considering themselves to be a servant now you say well that's an old testament concept no it's not It's a New Testament concept also for individuals who have a relationship with God. They view themselves as servants, or as they would sometimes put it in many of the New Testament epistles, the letters, they describe themselves as the slaves of Jesus Christ. See, when a person uh, comes into relationship with God, there is this understanding that they, they move loyalties. Romans chapter 6 makes this very clear that we move ourselves from under the dominion of sin when we accept Christ as Savior. He frees us from dominion of sin, but we are now put ourselves under His dominion and His kingdom, under His rulership, that we are no longer a slave to sin because we have a loyalty to, well, an individual, the one that's rescued us and though at one time we were slaves of sin now we become slaves of jesus christ and we have to understand that when we become the the slaves of jesus christ it's not that we are put to great burdens though at times we are going to have to go through difficult things but when jesus was talking uh, to individuals about the burdens that he put on individuals you think about matthew chapter 11 come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my what take my yoke upon you and you say what's the yoke well that was what you put across the neck of the oxen for them to be able to do the work that they needed to do to plow fields and and to to haul things and the lord says my yoke is easy and my burden is light you say what's the idea of easy it's kind mean you now have when you well put yourself under the lord you have a master who is kind and gentle and is desiring well the best for you but it does not mean as we said it does not mean that when we are well loyal to the lord and and you do want to note this that verse two that word the, the statement there it says preserve my soul for i am Holy, you might want to underline that term. That's not the normal term for holy. Okay? What this idea is, is that there is a loyalty. Okay? Preserve my soul because you might say this I am devoted to you. Okay? There's a loyalty to you. And in a servant and master relationship, think about this the master is concerned about a servant because uh, there is a responsibility even in the new testament as you have that master slave responsibility given in the uh, book of ephesians and colossians that the master is responsible for those that are underneath him for their well-being whereas the one who is well the servant or the slave has a responsibility uh, to be loyal back to his master faithful we might put it that way so this psalm is just kind of loaded with this fact I'm coming to one who is my master. I am loyal to him and he's loyal to me. Okay, there's a reflection in what God is doing for me that ought to be reflected back as one who is made in the image of God and is reflecting the image of Christ. There ought to be a loyalty. And so Paul, or excuse me, the psalmist here, David, uh, starts off with this whole idea that there's a relationship here okay Uh, understand that god does hear the prayers of everyone but he is hearing especially the prayers of those that are his that he has a relationship with and so uh, the psalmist uh, david says okay there is this situation that is here that i have this connection Now, the second thing you you need to note in this psalm and and understand as you go through the psalms, sometimes just going through them directly and going verse by verse directly through is a way to do this, but also understand that the psalms oftentimes just have a theme that you're setting up. You'll see things repeated over and over again and and this, and that's kind of what the psalmist is wanting you to get, not a logical argument, but statements uh, made about a certain subject. As you read through this, you find that uh, in verse 7 that the psalmist is in a day of trouble and, and there's bad things going on. Difficulty. You go, what's the difficulty? Well, in this case, in this psalm, we're told what it is. What's the problem that David is praying about? You find this in verse number 14. He kind of hints at it this whole time. There's trouble, there's difficulty, I need help, uh, these type of things. I need saving, I need delivering, all of these things. But you go, why? Well, verse 14 identifies that there are individuals that are making life difficult. I mean, they're described this way, the proud. uh, the, the, The idea here is that this is an individual who is arrogant, And you you go, what do you mean by arrogant? Well, an arrogant person is one who assumes that their opinions and their wants are what everybody else has to follow. I mean, they're arrogant enough to think that, oh, everyone's going to be okay with this. And that they'll have to go along with this because this is what I want. You know, there's a lot of people in our world that are like that. They want things the way they want them. They've assumed that this is the way that everybody else thinks. And you must abide by these things. David, he's got this one that is arrogant, the the arrogant ones that have risen up against him. They're assuming what they think is uh, right is what David has to accept. And this is not some sort of rabble either. You see the the statement that these are assemblies of violent men. That idea of assemblies is an organized meeting. It's not that these people are disorganized. Oftentimes, they spent much time plotting, conniving. And for David, he is surrounded by individuals who have been plotting his own hurt. And they're violent individuals that have sought after his own soul that's another word that you see throughout the psalm you could mark this down just to doing a study you see this word soul come up time and time again i mean th- this violence that is going on is not just merely physically beating him down it's actually bothering him in his own soul you know have this children's statement sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me well The fact is, is oftentimes the greatest pain and agony is really the internal struggle people have with things. And for David, as he's seeing these people that rise up that are assuming that he's going to take their position and that he must take their position, and they're plotting if he doesn't take up their position to bring him hurt, this is something that just wears on his soul. You say, well, what causes people to be arrogant like this? assuming that people will take up their position and that they must and that they have a right to do this well the end of the verse gives us why it's these are individuals that have not set the and you go who is the the in that passage you've not set they've not set god before them these are people who are acting as if god doesn't play a role in some cases he doesn't exist You have psalms that indicate that there's individuals like this and they're called fools because they say there is no God. And there are people in our world today that you think about this, they function as if God plays no role in this. You say, well, where did they get that assumption? They've been taught this. This is their worldview. I mean, assuming the fact that we evolved out of some sort of uh, primordial swamp, and we got here by, well, accidents and, and uh, just fortunate circumstances. That why do we have to pay attention to God? It is a survival of the fittest. And the, only the greatest and the strongest will survive. And so there is this thought process even today that if you have the strongest arguments or you gather the loudest group, that people have to accept your opinion. And they must. And if they don't, violence will ensue. And these are the things of our day that uh, are the things that stir us in our own soul. And think about what stirs us up is that people are like this. And they hate you. Do you realize this? You are, in their minds, if you're loyal to the master, uh, you're going to be hated by the society you live in. And so for David, he's praying about the very thing that stirs his soul. He is looking at a world that is around him that seems to be conniving and plotting uh, to bring about the destruction of himself and everything that he believes. Because these people are people who don't believe there's even a God that he plays a role in anything. that's his prayer he he's praying uh he's in trouble because he just sees where the world we might put it this way he sees where the world is heading and it bothers him now as you go through this and you look at uh, the prayer itself you can mark off about 15 different prayer requests i mean if you just kind of read through this and you go through uh the text itself and find out what all the things are that are being prayed for you'd kind of go okay there is a number of different items that are here that are being called upon for god to answer and for god to move i mean just start off in verse one what are some of these requests bow down thine ear Hear me. Verse 2, preserve my soul. Save thy servant. Verse 3, be merciful to me. Verse 4, rejoice my soul. And then you kind of go down. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplications. And then you continue to go down and you find other things. Verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. Verse 11 continues, Unite my heart. Do you realize there are times when your soul is being, you're frustrated and worried in soul? You can't say your heart's united. You're you're actually broken up. What he's asking for there is, Unite my heart. Bind it together. Not not fractured and kind of wondering what's going on. Like one that you would find in James chapter 1, who's well going from every wind of doctrine in the sense of just taking one event and they're like the waves of the sea that are blown of the wind and tossed and this is how they are in their soul he's asking there unite my heart give it solidity to be able to do certain things in praise of you i mean verse 16 oh turn unto me Have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant. Save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good. I mean, there is a fervency in this prayer. You read uh, through this and you find all those statements about things that he's asking for and there is a passion that is about this and you just kind of think of what we studied with Elijah a little bit ago. That the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It accomplishes much, but you say, why does it do that? It's because it's effectual and fervent. It's not just haphazard and slight and temporary in nature. No, this is something that a person gives themselves to gives all of their strength to and as David is praying as he sees these group of individuals he's not just simply praying once no he's praying with great power and strength in a great deal of time but it's with great fervency and fire that he is going to God and saying please you have to deliver me give me strength fix my soul so that I'm able to stand in circumstances like this and be able to do this all of these things that he has here that you're thinking about would be well prayer requests in themselves lord just bow down thine ear and hear verse one just listen listen to what i'm saying now we have confidence in reading the scripture that he will but there are times where we're feeling like we're not being heard and you're desperate uh, to make sure that god is hearing you or verse two preserve my soul keep me safe so you go okay he's making all these requests about the situation where he's got these enemies that are bearing down upon him and you say well why does he go to god well you say first of all there's this relationship there's the master-servant relationship but i'm going to say that there are two bases of prayer that he appeals to in the middle of this psalm one of them is that god is able to answer because he is the creator. You look at uh, verse number seven. David says this, In the day of my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. But then verse eight, Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. And in that context, it's not talking about his presence work. It's talking about the works of creation. See, he's praying to God because he knows there are no other sources of answers. And there's an assumption here. He's saying there's gods out there, and you see that there are the little g that is there. There are little gods out there that people go and cry before or try and call upon to get answers in david's culture these would have been uh, statues and idols of some kind that people would bow before made of wood and stone and and uh, these uh, type of things metals and they would have been there and some of them as you see uh, where they've dug up in archaeological digs pretty ugly gods but there was this thought process that if you appeased this god and you made him happy that they would perhaps answer you in their own situation what the nation of Israel is going to struggle with after the time of David is this God Baal. You go, well, what's the God of Baal? God of Baal the God Baal was responsible for agriculture, your farm, your crops growing. And so people would do things to please this God, uh, this little God, who would just merely stand there and having eyes would not see and ears would not hear and feet and would not walk and arms and could not reach out. Lips that did not speak but there are people that give their passion to this and they come to this and david just looks around and goes really who else would i go to there are gods out there but you're the only god alone you're the one that created everything which then indicates the fact that if he's the one that created everything all those things that are little gods are things that have been created They don't have power in and of themselves. And in our society, there are things that we sometimes depend upon that we think are going to give us strength. The almighty dollar, positions, uh, property, fame. These things that become the idols, the gods for us, that we think, this will keep me safe. If I just have enough money or if I just have this position, I'll be safe. And what David's saying is, all those gods that we can go and worship at and thinking that it's going to give us what we want why there's only one god and that's the god that created everything i mean even the nations uh, that might be so mighty they're nothing you read verse 10 uh, for thou art great and doest wondrous things thou art god alone Who else am I going to go to? So why would I waste my time pursuing those things or making that my desire, uh, saying these things will help me when there's only one who's created everything and when you do see him at work, he works wondrously. Why would I want any other God? So I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to the only source of strength and power. And so for David, the basis of prayer is he's just going to God and going, you're the one who's created everything. So I'm going to go to you because you're that great God. So the basis of his prayer is that God is the creator, but I'm also then secondly going to put it this way. There's two C's here, so you can alliterate. Remember this. That God is compassionate towards his own. He's compassionate. You find uh, the statement, perhaps you saw the hint of it, as you read through verse 5 of exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7 for thou lord art good and ready to forgive well those are the ideas that yes he's well full of goodness and he's full of truth and he is ready to forgive and oh he's plenteous in mercy to all them that call upon him God's not like what uh, people thought gods were supposed to be like. You remember the story of Elijah that you had to do all sorts of things. These prophets of Baal tried to do all sorts of things to get their God to hear them, to move him. They screamed louder and louder, and then to get God's compassion, they start cutting their own flesh. And they're doing this, and they're thinking that they have to do that because their God's not a compassionate God. He's just kind of, well, one who's unmoved by uh, the affairs of this world, and you have to get him to pay attention. And so they would do this. No, God in heaven is one who is already set to be moved towards you, He is a God that is compassionate. Verse 15, this is where you finally get the quote. David changes it just slightly. He doesn't use uh the Lord in the sense of uh Yahweh. He uses this one term, the Lord, Adonai, the master. You're a God full of compassion and gracious. Uh, We would translate that merciful and gracious uh, from that passage. Long-suffering. You've got a, well, you hold your Well, you say he holds what? He holds his judgment. Sometimes we deserve to be judged, and he withholds judgment. He's got a long burn uh, on his fuse. And you're plenteous in mercy and in truth. Plenteous is the idea of abundant. It's overflowing. You you can never run out. And so when it comes to situations of life, there there are occasions where we're sitting there going, I need help. God, you have declared yourself to be compassionate. And I. And what David does, he's got this promise here. He is grasping onto it and saying, you've said this about yourself. And as we sung the hymn earlier this evening, standing on the promises... What you have about the character of God is something that will never change. It may be a statement about who he is, but it's a promise. He's never going to change from that. And for David, he goes, this is a promise. And great, it was made 400 years ago to Moses. But I'm holding on to it now because you're a God who doesn't change. He's always the same and you've declared this about yourself, that you are concerned about me. You're compassionate. And you are abundant in what you're able to do for me. I mean, This is something for us as we go through and, and just think about God's glory revealed in everyday life. This is using a statement like this, in order to call upon God to get him to move in prayer. There are certain things about the character of God, this is why we should know certain things about God, that we can pray fervently and say, you have said this about yourself, and I am praying in line with who you are, because you've said this, and I can be pretty strong about this, because you don't change, and this is how you revealed yourself to me and for us just thinking about that time difference that okay 1445 or in that time frame you've got moses uh, writing uh, about the story that event takes place to him and 400 years later here's david holding to a promise like this it hasn't changed and then you move up another three thousand years and the question is is that statement good now too Sometimes we do read stuff in our Bible and go, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. It really doesn't apply right now. Or it doesn't apply today. We do at times in our own soul assume that those are the good old days. It doesn't happen this way anymore. No, what God declared to Moses on Mount Sinai, David holds on to 400 years later and he uses it as his basis to be able to pray and claim God's help that I'm in the middle of this troubling situation, but you've declared you're a compassionate and merciful God. You are, uh, with those two words of merciful and compassionate, those terms are saying you were loyal to me and you're moved about my situation that you will answer her. And David used this. And you can use a passage like this. To pray to God to answer her. When you think about, you say, well, did David get his prayer answered? You kind of get that hint in verse number 17. You know, he asked her this, Show me a token for good, that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed. And then the statement, because thou, Lord, has helped me and comforted me. He's already seen God's help. He's already seen God's comfort. And he's praying for the situation presently. And he knows God has helped him previously and comforted him previously. That God is going to answer again in this situation. That God will do that. And so for for you, I I don't know what the situation may be that is pressing upon you, whether it is a physical situation that is uh, bothering you or what we might say a circumstantial uh, problem that is happening. Or there are people like what David has here. And it's pressing upon you. And it is the type of thing that can fracture your soul you can break your soul you say what's the answer not look at yourself not look at your circumstances not to look at your strengths but to look at god who he is and what he says about himself Too often we allow our own emotions and too often we allow those things to move us along and we ignore the fact that we've got a God who is the same. He's been the same for eternity. He's been the same as he was 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago. He's the same God. He doesn't change. And he has been helping his people all those times, time and time again. God has been loyal to them. And if God declares that he has compassion towards those people, but this is a promise for all of us, he's going to be compassionate to you in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your difficulty. He will be there to help. He's abundant in his resources. It's not like he gets to you and suddenly he's like, oh, well don't have enough resources to help him this time i don't have enough resources to help her in this difficulty no god's abundant in his resources to meet whatever trouble you are in so this this passage of david is a great reminder for us that take the promises of god and pray these things back to him because they're truth they're right they're accurate and as you read it they're good words good statements about him and they ought to bring us delight to our souls so i don't know what may come up this week i don't know what a week will hold for you I think for some of you, if you look back at the beginning of this week and saw where it led, you kind of go, that went in directions I didn't expect, didn't know, could possibly happen. And for some of us, there may be, in a sense, from a human perspective, that there's a turn for the worst or the worse in your life and your situation. And you might be, well, forced to be broken in your soul in the sense that everything is crashing down upon you will go to a passage like this and just cling to it because this is your god and everything that's in there is true he's compassionate merciful full of goodness waiting to move towards you and if you've caused some of the distance he's ready to forgive and so grab onto this memorize this Hold on to it so that you have something to grasp when you're in the midst of trouble and you cry out to God. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you. We thank you for David. Don't know what exactly, uh, though we were told he had enemies, we don't know the exact circumstances, but he gives us a pattern. By using a passage like this about who you are, for him to cling to and claim as he calls out upon you. Lord, we're thankful for the fact that you've changed our lives, you've saved us, and you are, in a sense, our master, and we are your servants. But you're not a harsh master, you are a loving and compassionate master, concerned about our good and our well being. And so may we grasp these passages, this passage and the passages previous we've looked at and realize you're like this to everyone who is your child. Lord, there are some that uh, I can think of right now that are going through some difficult circumstances. Lord, we pray that they would remember who you are and for us this week, I, I don't know what trouble may be f- upon us, uh, whether it be people or circumstances. Lord, may we still see you, who you are, and then cry out to you on the basis of who you are. We've seen your great mercy uh, displayed eternally in the fact that you sent your Son to us to die in our place. What great What great picture for us to understand that you are a God concerned about giving us mercy and help. We see it reflected in your son. So (coughs) as we hit our daily circumstances that may be troublesome, may we see you as the compassionate God. We thank you for promises like this. May it be what strengthens us and our prayers. And this we ask in the name of the Son. Amen.